Retro Hangover, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Studstill Smash, the Milkman, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, The Backlog, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Lucas Lobo, Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Keith Gasper, Dave Jackson, Eric Guess, Kayla Jackson, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, and Ash Event. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. and classic gamers welcome to the podcast where we fatally find four ways to finish fantastically with finality this is retro hangover i am your co-host chris copleen with special guest john cottage and as always your host shane one straight dick path You know, I am fairly certain that that might be the most coherent alliteration we've had in quite some time. I know. Like, usually it makes no, like, I mean, this didn't make sense. That was like a full ass sentence. Sense. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> I know I, I had, I used some words that didn't all start with the same letter. I apologize. I failed. I had to add some things because it just, I wasn't thinking properly. Not that I normally do, but I delivered on the alliteration. You sure did. You definitely did. Welcome back to the show, John. It's been quite the month. Uh, we're closing it <laughs> out the month with, of April with you. I see that is fitting as we started out the month with you, but uh, welcome back. Yeah, happy to be here this time uh, under less duress circumstances. <laughs> were you not happy to be here last time? I was actually. I mean, I always enjoy Adam's company. And as, as it occurred, I'm like, ref- my mind is remembering the previous instance. But it's happening live to me at the same time. And the one-two punch that those two bring, I, I just had no stability. Every time I felt <laughs> I was grabbing my ground back, they would just pull the rug from under me. They are definitely good at that. You know, it's funny, like the story about Adam just reminded me he's, he's going to get, he'll probably appreciate this, I assume. I think most other people would probably be at least marginally embarrassed, but he's too good for that. But uh, in, <laughs> uh, in the car ride on the way home before we started recording this episode, the topic came up about like fan mail and things like that for maybe some 3D printed reason. I can't imagine why. Anyway, I can't imagine why either. Yeah. And so my, my wife and I were talking about it and she's like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel like I guess it's a good thing that most of your audience is male because like if you had females like what? What if somebody sends you like underwear or something in the mail? I don't know how I feel <laughs> about that. And I'm like, OK, first of all, you, you don't we're a video game show, darling. You don't have to worry about that. Like we're lucky we're married. OK, it's fine. <laughs> and second. If I were to receive unmentionables in the mail, 
I am fairly certain it would probably be a jock strap, and I'm also fairly certain that it would be from Adam. Because if anybody <laughs> was going to do it, it would be him. That's now. Uh, that's going to happen. Yeah, I it's put it gonna, out there. So yeah, this is why we yeah. need a PO box. By the way, <laughs> it could be something to help with pegging. You never know. I mean, looking at our Discord conversations, that that is true. That is true. With how much pegging randomly comes up from all corners of the globe, just a strap on with dragon wings. <laughs> God. I'm sure that <laughs> definitely exists somewhere. If it doesn't, it will now. Yeah, it's about to. <laughs> uh, Pizza Hut and pegging. That's, yep. We can make a shirt with that. Oh, God. Yep. The next round of the RHP Pizza Hut logo. This is how we get banned from everything. <laughs> Not eggplant anymore. It's just a dick. We, we just like, <laughs> screw screw the subtlety. Uh, screw the entendre. Here's, here's a penis. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Actually... Bringing up that 3D printed dick dragon, which was an excellent, excellent uh, visual for the chat. Mm. Thanks again, Ash event. (laughs) I've had uh, a friend at work get another 3D printed dick, and it makes me wonder how much of the 3D printed files out there are penis related. Oh, probably about 70 (laughs) percent. I'd say not only that, but with the the level of frightening detail and accuracy that this thing has, I would imagine that it has to be based off of someone. So either some enterprising individual is just out there doing that, or there's just like one dude's dick that like everybody's 3D print is based on. It's the foundation file. (laughs) Uh, I want to know who Dick Zero is. The proto dick. (laughs) That's the next Capcom game. Mega Man is a Mega Man is Mega Dick. And his brother Proto Dick have to go kill Dr. Willy. Nice. It works. I like it. It works. But we are a video. Yeah. Just tying that back into video yeah, games. There, Hi, everyone. Video game show. Yeah. Bring it back around. We're actually <laughs> going to be talking about Final Fantasy 13 this time. Thank God. But before we get to that, as we are want to do, hostile from you against Shane. Well, as I want to do, I guess we'd like to talk about the games that we have been playing recently. And we usually start out with our guest. So, John, why don't you tell us what games you have been playing lately? Well, I'll mention two since that's about all I've played recently. One of them I finished a while ago, I just want to bring up because of how much I adored it, is Chained Echoes. Mm. That is highly recommended for all the JRPG fans out there. Oh, no. That was a subtle push on the hard J. They canceled Edgy. now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was excellent game. Really, really loved it. Beginning to end. I still have to figure out like how... there. I know there are more programmers that worked on it on the back end, having seen the credits, but I want to know how much of that game that creator did work on himself because it was very tight across every aspect from gameplay to story. Yeah. It's got to be one of my favorite RPGs now ever. It was excellent. And then Metroid dread, which I'm loving and hating myself for playing. Like every time I play a Metroid game, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love them. Uh, They're the only games that are actually difficult that I'll push through. Typically I just rage quit and I'm like toss my switch like a Frisbee, but no Metroid always seems to make me push through it. It's extremely difficult, Metroid Dread, I would say, but it's also incredible. I absolutely love it. Don't worry, you're not the only one who gets uh, unnaturally angry towards Metroid games. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that never... Yeah, I wonder who that would be. No idea. No idea. Shane. Yes. What have you been playing lately? What have I been playing? Well, nothing super out of the ordinary. Um, I did pick up, well, <laughs> uh, surprisingly, you'd think at some point, I would run out. And for a little while, I felt like maybe I did. Like, I thought I had hit, you know, like peak steam. And then 
I ended up getting like, I don't even know, like six or eight more games during this most recent sale. So there's that. And one of them happened to be Project Zomboid. I've been playing a little bit of that with a few friends of mine, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, given the way that it looked, because it, I'll be honest, it, it kind of looks like zombie apocalypse Sims, which is weird. Okay. That's weird. Mostly because of the art style, because it's like an isometric thing, but like they're sort of like almost intentionally low poly characters, I guess. So it has that aesthetic in a lot of ways, I think, but it's it's pretty fun. It is definitely like a hardcore survival game. I've done a few runs on it, and I don't think a character has lived more than I want to say two hours in real time. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, there is a crazy amount of detail in it, like to the point where you can, you know, find like VHS tapes around the world and actually operate televisions and sit down to watch things that will either give you skill ups in certain things or just watching TV will also decrease like your your stress like levels and increase like happiness and reduce boredom. And like there's a thousand systems going on in this game all at once. Interesting. they They all work pretty well. So I've been checking that out. It's it's pretty cool. Like really the only other thing right now is I've just got some stuff going on on my on my mobile device. Mighty Doom just came out on the App Store. So, of course, you know, I've been playing that. What's that? It's essentially. Well, so if you're familiar with uh, Archero, it's it's a very it's basically that it's just kind of like the same game mechanics, just skinned as Doom. They added some cool new things like you can do the glory kills like you can in the newer Doom games. And that's how you recover health. But it's essentially kind of like a pseudo top down auto shooter where like you can control it with one thumb and Doom guy just shoots automatically. Hmm. And so you go through like a set of different randomly generated levels and you get gear and upgrade your stats, blah, 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 blah. So it's a really good fit for mobile devices and it's Doom. So I'm enjoying it so far. So you're you're comfortable with that then. That's for oh, sure. yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Well, I hmm. was playing Tomb Raider Reloaded prior to this which is the exact it's literally the same game (laughs) it's just the tomb raider skin and i'm actually probably going to do a quick little rapid fire review about that because uh man nice that game had a lot of potential but it has a lot of problems um and so i was just really happy to see mighty doom come out because it's basically the same style of gameplay but like actually works well uh but yeah man that's pretty much it for me so what about you chris what what's been keeping you busy besides you know the the world of cocoon yeah my almost entire gaming life has been dedicated to the game du jour Mm. it's because uh it's a long game and i'm sure we're going to get into that it is i've also been playing a game that not our next episode because our next episode is is not it's already been recorded so it's not that one but the episode after that uh the first episode of may uh which is a game boy advance game that i like a hell of a lot more than metroid fusion and i didn't think i would and i'm having a great time with that so i look forward dig Hey, I'll take any dig I can. Fuck Metroid. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a good running bit. I'll, t- I'll, I'll keep it. I'll stay with it. He's got that one. I've got Sonic. So there you go. You definitely yeah. have the Sonic running bit. That's for sure. <laughs> I've also played a, a little bit of our review crew game of the month, which is going to, by the time you're listening, this is for March. So uh, Dig Dug 2. And I'm horrible at that game. <laughs> I am just, I am abysmal. I'm surprised I got more than the default high score, let alone even come close to competing with you know the people in our our discord because they're yeah way better than i am apparently Uh, i'm not good uh so i can't 
I can say I don't like the game. I have no idea if it's bad or not. I'm just that bad at it. One last, I fired up Shovel Knight last night because I wanted to make sure that my Wii U actually had Treasure Trove on it because it comes free with the, the physical release. Yeah. Uh, or just, I think, there, any release, if you bought it at any point in time in general, uh, you were able to get that. So I fired that up and I started playing a little bit of Plague Knights. Was it Plague of Shadows? Started playing a little bit of that. And I was having a good time. I really like Shovel Knight. It's a good-ass game. Yeah. We might talk about yeah. it for its 10th anniversary. Mm. Who knows? I'm interested. I'm interested. I, I have never heard anything bad about that game. Oh, never. I Here's a preview of that episode. It's really fucking good. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been up to. It's just mostly Final Fantasy 13. I haven't beat it. Uh, full disclosure for this episode. I, I'm at like the last part. But you beat it before. I would say, what do you qualify as being beaten? Like, I feel like the that's final boss. OK, yeah, I, I'm at the final dungeon. I have beat it before, though, people. So don't get don't yell at me. But I am at the final dungeon and I plan on beating that after we record this, hopefully. Hopefully this weekend, maybe because I've put off too many actual inner life responsibilities for it. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) ready to move on with life and hopefully on to ease eight. Hopefully I'm talking about that uh, when we start recording again, when Shane gets back from his amazing trip. Mm. Oh, nice. And that's all I have. Back to you, Shane. Well, thank you for forcing that segue so that I can introduce the thing. It's like we're professionals. (laughs) All right. Well, in that case, I do believe it is time to talk about the game that we are all here for. The thing that you saw in the title that presumably brought you in to listen, apart from just the fact that clearly, you know, you love us and you just want to hear us massage your ear holes. But apart from that, of course, we are, in fact, here to talk about the 13th Final Fantasy. At some point, it will be the final one. I'm not sure when, but it wasn't this one. (laughs) Chris is here to give you a brief history of FF13. Time to cover the history of another Final Fantasy game already? Sure is! In 2004, after the release of the improved version of Final Fantasy X-2 in Japan, Square Enix began development of the next installment of the Final Fantasy franchise. Or, more accurately, the installment after Final Fantasy XII, which was still in development. The initial concept of this game would focus on a central mythology around crystals, developing concepts that would be central to the game and its characters. These concepts were the idea of the Falsi, or godlike entities, and Lissi, people who are forced into a fate against their will at the hands of the Falsi. These concepts would form the overarching idea that would be called the Fabula Nova Crystallis, it's Latin, so I don't know if I can pronounce that correctly, people. A series of games loosely tied together with this mythology being the thread. As the plot would be coming together, development would formally begin with the game intended to be on the PlayStation 2. However, when Square Enix unveiled their Final Fantasy VII cinematic to showcase their new Crystal Tools engine, they decided to move development to the PlayStation 3 because of the overwhelming positive reaction to the tech demo at the event. In doing so, the game would end up being delayed, not only because they had to swap it to a new engine, but also because the engine needed to be tweaked in order to support other games Square Enix was developing at the time. At the same time, Final Fantasy XII for the PlayStation 2 also had to be delayed, which would obviously complicate the release window of a subsequent installment. At E3 in 2006, Final Fantasy XIII would be announced to the world via trailer, but no gameplay was present at the time, as the game was not yet playable. 
In addition, in keeping in line with the overarching mythos of Fabula Nova Castalis, two other games were announced under the Final Fantasy XIII umbrella. These games would be Final Fantasy Agito XIII for the PSP, which would eventually turn into Final Fantasy Type Zero, and Final Fantasy Versus XIII for the PS3, which would eventually become Final Fantasy XV. Development would continue with a renewed focus on the battle system. The developers decided to make a battle system that would resemble the cinematics of Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, and because of this, they decided to remove magic points and make spells more basic attacks in hoping of making battles more interesting. Additionally, they implemented the Paradigm System, a system in which the characters have multiple job-type groupings and the player would have to quickly switch between them. There'd also be a change in focus in where the game was designed to take place. While previous Final Fantasy games had been drawing on Asian locations and culture for inspiration for their settings, Final Fantasy X in particular, Final Fantasy XIII would instead be focused on creating a world that would resemble the United States. Pulse would be created by looking at open landscapes across the US, whereas Cocoon was designed to take inspiration from the diversity of more urban environments. On December 17, 2009, Final Fantasy XIII would see release in Japan exclusively for the PS3. The Xbox 360 would eventually see release in Japan on December 16, 2010, but it was not originally intended for release in that region. However, the rest of the world would see a simultaneous release for both the PS3 and Xbox 360 on March 9, 2010. Critics would mostly receive the game positively, although not as positively as previous Final Fantasy releases had experienced. Reviews of the time heavily praised the game's presentation, battle system, and storytelling, stating that the battle system was among the genre's best and that the story had felt more human than in previous installments. However, critics were quick to point out how they were disappointed by the game's linearity, which was extremely rigid for a significant portion of the game. Consumers made sure to go out and get the game, though, leading to a total sales of 7 million copies by April 2017. While both review scores and sales were decent for a game overall, Square Enix felt they were lower than what they had anticipated, and blamed Western perspectives as one of the biggest reasons for that. In time, Final Fantasy XIII's biggest legacy has appeared to fall on the side of its criticisms. Despite this, it spawned sequels to its own lore, aside from the games announced simultaneously with it, with Final Fantasy XIII II and Final Fantasy Lightning Returns. Square Enix has also continued support into the current generation, with what was once the inferior Xbox 360 version getting significant upgrades in ports to the Xbox Series S and X consoles. And that is your brief history of Final Fantasy XIII. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. The The fun thing about this is like I this this one was a nice one for me because I played it like semi recently. So like, nice, you know, I, I didn't have to. Uh, didn't have to crunch for, for this episode. <laughs> this was easy, breezy, beautiful for me, but uh, not so much for you, Chris, huh? <laughs> yeah, getting to replay it was an experience. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about that experience. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always kind of been a Final Fantasy 13 apologist. I don't think it's going to change much, but I do think I, I can come into this better appreciating the criticisms, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. I mean, we have to address it. I mean, that's what this is. This is for. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But I'm sure like this game we brought on, John, we brought you on for a reason. I know what your profile picture is in our discord. Discord. It's, it's lightning. Yep. I think this is a good time to get into the personal history here. So 
that being said, John, how about you kick it off? What's your personal history with Final Fantasy 13? So Final Fantasy 13, I remember the uh, initial trailer, uh, the train fight, the army of one fight blew me away. I mean, I've been a fan of lightning ever since my favorite video game character ever since that point. However, I wouldn't play the game uh, until about a year after its release, I think minimum. And it was a period of time I was in a deep depression and I was at a buddy's house for the weekend and he had a 360. At this point, I had just moved into the city. I had no money. So I had no console at this time. I didn't have a console until 2015. I played the game. He bought it. It was a platinum hits at that point, I think. Played the game, got through about 25 hours in one weekend. Uh, Depressions will do that to you, let Mm. you dive right in. Yeah. So I loved it. I was blown away. And then I wouldn't play it again until 2016. But at this point, I had lots of money and I was buying every console and I was in that beginning of a collector phase. So I pumped about 45 hours into it, got into a bit of a bind that I couldn't figure out. And I'm not one to check game facts. I'm pretty much like, I got to figure this out. And this is a puzzle for my mind. Ditched it for 15 at the time it just came out. So I played that. And then recently, um, my wife became pregnant. Now it's like eight months ago. And I was like, okay, I want to like game to distract me because I've been a nervous wreck ever since she got (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) I was like, I want something to inspire me. And I threw it in randomly one day. I had it, I've had it digitally, digitally on my Xbox for a while. And I was like, oh, I just want to see the new, uh, graphics. And then I didn't stop playing until I beat it. It was, it's incredible, which I'm sure we'll talk about in that portion on the Xbox. It's unbelievable to look at. I had had enough experience previously of getting over the difficulty hurdles relevant to the things we'll talk about, the criticisms. So I could lean in harder into just enjoying it and listening to what is it trying to make me do? I always try and get to that point in a video game of what are they trying to tell me relevant to both story and gameplay. And we can go into a few pieces because Chris, you actually helped me out indirectly into changing my total strategy for the second half of this game and making it way easier to beat the final boss than I had assumed it would be. So yeah, that's my personal history. You're going to have to remind me of how oh, because I, will. I, I will. forgot the advice I gave you apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Shane? Well, as I already sort of alluded to, I, I played this somewhat recently. I don't even know why either. I mean, I just, I, I'd picked it up, I think uh, for sale. It was like a cheap physical copy. It was, it was the platinum hits version. Uh, like he said, for my 360. And I think I was at one of those points where I was just like, not sure what I was going to play next from the old backlog. And I think this was also the time where I started trying to focus on just like nothing but narrowing down and eliminating my 360 backlog. Cause I was just like, man, I've had this thing for so long and it's like a fixture on the, you know, the, the media shelf under my TV and I should probably actually get around to playing these games. I think part of the motivation for that as well was, um, the hard drive, the OG hard drive and that thing just straight up dying. That was fun. Hmm. That happened right in the middle. I'm trying to remember now this is totally off the top of my head and I can't recall if it was FF 13, if it was something else, but my hard drive died right when I was in the middle of playing a significantly long game. And I can't remember if it was this or not. That would kill it. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. But at any rate, that that was the impetus behind it. And so eventually I got to this and I was just like, all right, I mean, I've 
I actually had a roommate back when this came out originally when I was still living up in Maine who bought this and played it like at release. And so I sort of passively saw some of it as he was sitting in the living room playing it. One of and obviously we're going to we're going to address the roughly hallway shaped elephant in the room in a little bit. (laughs) That was one of the things that was like immediately noticeable about it comparatively to like older RPGs and stuff. It was just like, you're just doing a lot of running straight lines, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, are you having fun? Like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, all right. That's that's pretty much it. But yeah, so I didn't actually get down to like sit down and actually play it myself too much later. And at this point, what are we? 2023 now i want to say i actually played this it was like five years ago five plus years ago i think but you know it's it's recent enough for me to remember i think most of the important bits but uh yeah that's kind of my personal experience with it so um what about you chris uh, by the way, I just want to point out to everybody, we did not intentionally try to make an episode for the 13th birthday of Final Fantasy 13. I know we're about a oh. about a month off, but oh, nice. Yeah, it was March 9th, 2010. So true. I mean, it was a month How ago. And serendipitous. I know. Right. And this this was not intentional. I'm just pointing that out. No idea. <laughs> I know people are like, bullshit. No, really, we didn't try that. My personal experience is this is the first Final Fantasy game I can recall when it came out I was not excited for I, I can't remember why like because I, I remember up until that point because like my first Final Fantasy was the original Final Fantasy but it was after Final Fantasy 2 came out and then ever since Final Fantasy 3 which I didn't get on release because I become also a Final Fantasy fan after that came out I had gotten like Final Fantasy on day one for every Final Fantasy after that up until Final Fantasy 13 now this was a point in my life that I had just started a job up at RTC Great Lakes pushing boots. So I was a, a drill instructor, as people would commonly call it. And those are long days. Those that's an environment where you are, you know, you're working from 530 in the morning till 1030 at night, six days a week. And then the seventh day you're working half a day. So time for gaming is is extremely limited because you're you're working. You can't sit down and play your Xbox or your PlayStation. So I think that's one of the major reasons I didn't get it, Uh, even though somehow during that time I played Mass Effect 2. Don't ask me how I didn't rush out and get it. And I think a lot of it was just because the reviews and some other reasons, because they were just kind of tepid and people are like hallways. And uh, I I was just kind of in this mood that I wasn't really big on modern gaming for the most part, even though I was playing exclusively modern games at this point. I I can't answer questions if you ask me why Uh, it's kind of hazy. Again, I blame just my workload. Uh, it was just a lot of it. But I remember going to the Best Buy at Black Friday in either 2011 or 2012. I can't remember which. This is like really the first time I was experiencing Black Friday. I'd never gone out and done this before. I was doing my whole job up in Chicago, which you have normal working hours. And when I say normal working hours, it was 10 instead of, you know, 17, 18. Ooh. I went uh, to the Best Buy at midnight. I got in line because I think there was a TV or, or something that I wanted to get. I remember seeing Final Fantasy 13 on sale for like 15 bucks for the PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I've put this off for long enough. Now it's $15. It's time to pick this baby up and give it a shot. I didn't play it at that point. Put it off again, just because RPGs were, were long for me. And I had just gotten into a nice long session of Dragon Age Origins Ultimate Edition. 
which if you don't know, that game is like 120 hours long and also consumes your life because that game is fantastic. So I put it off. Then when I finally moved back down to Florida in 2013, they moved me to the night shift. So in order to maintain my sanity and circadian rhythm, I started playing games at night uh, and staying up all night because my shift was five at night till five in the morning. So when I had days off, I wanted to maintain that. And that's when I started playing Final Fantasy 13. And so I just game all night and play the game. You know, I beat it and got through it. And I remember liking it quite a bit. I didn't really mind all the hallways. I didn't mind uh, the di- I don't remember minding the difficulty. And it was a stunningly beautiful experience, even for a game that was a few years old at that point. It was it was looking like anything you were. I wouldn't say anything on the PS4, but most it was comparable had a great time with it it didn't really linger with me like it wasn't a classic experience and I'm, I'm finding out why that is for the sake of this review but i i do remember when a lot of people would say it was trash and that's when i come back to people and like it's it's not a bad game like you, if you actually sit down and play it it's it's not a bad game but uh, that's my history with it just a lot of putting it off nice. buying it getting into it even for a final fantasy fan as, as long as i put it off i i did don't regret picking up and playing it but way before this episode, I'll say, frankly, I'm, I'm not surprised that you put it off, given that you were already pretty heavily invested in RPGs prior to this. I'm sure someone coming from that background and then hearing a lot of that, you know, talk surrounding this game of just like, oh, sure. Uh, it's really linear and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not surprised that it would probably put you off. Yeah, especially when I was going through a Bioware phase. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't conflict more. You said Mass Effect 2 and you're just like, yeah, I had no time to game, but I played Mass Effect 2. <laughs> fucking yeah. what <laughs> yeah i know right how did you manage that yeah, somehow like i even look back at that i'm like i don't ask me how i did it i just i played mass effect 2 okay i got it for the ps3 mm. it could have been another reason because my the xbox 360 was where it was at back in 2011 2012 yeah like mm-hmm. ps3 was kind of starting to hit its stride but if you had gotten an xbox 360 like around 2006, 2007, like I did, a lot of people stuck with that. Like people may not remember this, but the Xbox 360 was the console of choice in the United States. That that was the biggest console here. Oh yeah. There's no question. I mean, all things considered, even with the weird red ring of death stuff, which I never got, thankfully, 360 is a great system. Like eventually we're going to have to end up doing like one of our console episodes and just talk about the 360. It's been a while since we've done that, but yeah it's it's definitely I, solid i love the 360 yeah. so good well i suppose that uh that brings us to the the next uh portion of the discussion it's a straight path right to it yeah it's convenient <laughs> <laughs> the ongoing transition for yeah. all <laughs> so what about uh i mean do we want to start with with plot yeah we can okay we can do i that. mean it's a challenging point that that's definitely can run the spectrum is one of the things i find it has a lot of points for criticism, but it also has, um, I could easily debate a lot of virtues. All right. Well, that sounds like as good a step into that as any. So why don't you go ahead and, and take it away then? So I think the issues with the story that are classic and often brought up everywhere you turn are relevant to the fact that a lot of the lore is trapped inside of the menus or items you find to unlock little sequences in the menus to expound upon aspects of this society. And a a lot of people find that frustrating. I can understand that 
I think it's odd that the same archetypal individual that will complain about that also loves that about games like Elden Ring and the like. I was just, you know, the as Souls. soon as you said that, as soon as you said, yeah, a lot of the story is just in the item description. So it's like Dark Souls, it's Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a fact that a lot of the world building understanding previously in a Final Fantasy game was woven more organically through the narrative. This one has much of it sitting inside of these explicitly things that you may not ever find. Mm. You've got to go on a quest to find a lot of it if you really want to unlock that. Mm -hmm. I don't find that problematic ultimately because where it focuses a story on is character history, character building, character interaction. Uh, It's mainly an emotional story about um, troubled individuals having to come to terms with their self-doubts, their struggles, their indecision, and against all odds, take hold of that. So a lot of the whole you against God, which is here again. I mean, it's not a Final Fantasy if it isn't <laughs> Shocker, that story. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if it's not that, then it's not Final Fantasy, but it is inside of the characters and they have a lot of virtue to that. I know, again, another um, criticism will go into Snow and his like, I'm the hero. I, I'm, the, I'm the guy who's going to save the day. And it is annoying, but I find it is indicative of his class, right? He's a lower class individual. He, he doesn't have a broad perspective and he's being like, his story is often coming to terms with that, that he has this very narrow worldview. Mm. He has this very narrow vision of who he has to be and why he has to be that. And you get a lot of pushback from that immediately from lightning. Who's had a little bit more of a taste of a wider world. Mm -hmm. You know, her story is, is also great. And I think the, the real story sits inside of which is part of its subversive nature sits inside of Vanille. She's your narrator. She at one point is considered by the development team to be the main character, but nevertheless, she's driving the narrative. And that, that's really where you get the depth of the self-doubt and a need to gain this acceptance of, you know, the world is bigger than you. Like you may have been at the epicenter of the event, but you weren't its cause. You have to forgive yourself. You have to let go. You have to trust. And I found that delivery in the end, after all these years of waiting for it, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but I found I was actually touched by what I knew was already going to come, but what I could see develop inside of the character. So because it's more character centric, it's got more of a heartbeat. And then the world building, that, that lore element is locked inside of a lot of the menus. And that makes sense because the overall feel of the game is you're on the run. You're, you're never settled. You're always moving forward. You struggle to look back, but when you do, it helps you move forward with greater purpose. So I found there was a lot of layer to the story mm-hmm. in the feel of the game, but I understand that what we come to JRPGs for oftentimes is to nerd out <laughs> and, to, and to learn all this crazy crap, have it sit inside of crazy words, and falsi and lassi are definitely crazy words. It can twist your tongue and your mind, but I don't know. I thought, I think it's... Uh, I think it's got a lot of good writing. Is it perfect? No, but I don't think there's a lot of great writing in video games that's on the scale of something like literature. Mm-hmm. But I think in the realm of video games, it's got a lot of compelling points that I obviously can stand for. Yeah, it's it's funny too because you you mentioned the the Lassie and, and Falsi thing, and I remember sitting on the couch playing this game, and my wife sitting there next to me watching, and she's just like, 
all right, what is it? What is any of this? What is, who are they? What is going on? And I'm like, I feel like as that always sunny in Philadelphia meme, you know, just the, with the, the red wire on the board. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like, all right. So there's a falsy and there's a cocoon and there's all these other and eidolons. And she's like, I, I, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> no, 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 you definitely shouldn't. It is not something to explain to somebody and seem yeah, sane. No, it's like the same thing with Elden Ring. I can go down. A, by the way, a free, free plug for our public discord, which we'll totally do later anyway. But like we have a Elden Ring spoilers channel in there. And uh, I think it was Ozzy and myself got into uh, a fairly lengthy discussion about uh, the the idiosyncrasies of like the lore behind uh, Elden Ring and like what all of it means. And it was incredibly nerdy, but very satisfying. That's amazing. I could tell. I, I actually read that channel, even though I never have any plans to play that game. <laughs> Way too difficult for me. Right, You can experience it vicariously. I have. So I'm just going to explain the primer for the plot here really quick. Essentially, the game starts out where you're on a train and you don't know why you're on a train and uh, lightning wants to get off the train. So she starts killing things. But what the train is really doing is that it's purging people from uh, a place called Cocoon. And that's because they found a falsy or a godlike being from the world of Pulse, which is like a, the world right below it. Cocoon's kind of like an artificial moon of sorts. And the, the people that in charge of Cocoon decide that anyone who got in contact with this falsy needs to be purged and sent to cocoon or killed they're it's probably in the data logs it's implied that they're just like holocausted or some shit yeah they're sending them to the hanging edge right mm-hmm. yeah. to they, they've kind of got the new like falsy covid and they're like these are patient zeros we got to get rid of them <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of the mentality all our protagonists with the are, are interrelated and somehow to this event they end up getting a mark from one of these falsies which makes them a lissy, which is the primary fear factor of everyone on cocoon so they spend their time running away and figuring out what they're supposed to do because if they don't uh they have this thing called a focus and if they don't figure out what they're supposed to do they're going to turn into evil monster zombie things mm-hmm. that that's kind of the crux of the the main points of the game here so, i mean don't don't forget that there's a name for that too right it's a, the seeth yeah the seeth. yeah the seeth. yeah it's even more confusion <laughs> going, going back to what was originally kind of brought up here you know people are like oh there's data logs and why is this an irritation point when you do see it, you see it in Mass Effect, you do see it in the Elder Scrolls games, you see it in Dark Souls games. So why is it a big deal here? And I, the, I, the only thing I could think of as a apt comparison is that in those games, the character that you are controlling, I, I don't necessarily think there's a party. I know the Mass Effect there is. But when you the main character itself is not a pre-built character, the character is you. You are a character that is a part of the world that you're living in where as all the characters in final fantasy 13 are already pre-built mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the experiences that they are having are not your experiences you're viewing their experiences so you're not living in a world you're observing other people living in a world and i have to wonder if that has exactly. something to do with it it definitely does it definitely does because otherwise it's just going to be exposition for the game player which i can't stand how much exposition for example are in bandai namco games mm-hmm. like kill me now (laughs) because you're experiencing the world in their terms it makes sense that you're learning about it in accordance with their experience and you're not having every villain be a james bond villain from the roger moore era explaining their plan to you as it unfolds you're rather just living out your life and you happen to be interacting with a larger Mm -hmm. plot that's going on and that's been 
coming to a culmination for millennia and you just happen to be at the center of it. Mm. And the game is trying to explain to you why these individuals are at the center of it. And you're learning at the same pace they're learning of it. So it made sense, especially because I've read a lot more over the last decade, the framing structure for the narrative, that it would be something like that. Like, you're not, you're not going to know what this is. And if you are going to know and it's going to be in the game, it's going to be the James Bond villain explaining it mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I don't like that. I, I did find it was easier to to empathize with the characters having it not be unfolded like that yeah and i will say that like that's something that's never bothered me i know i feel like we've probably mentioned it before some other episode but that that difference between whether you are like the the character is that you're playing is essentially just like you know an avatar for you to sort of put yourself into to experience the game versus controlling a predefined character Honestly, that difference has never bothered me. Like, I can't think of an instance where that would be something that would that would come to mind for me of like, I'm not enjoying this as much because I don't feel like I'm a part of it. Like, I guess. And I know some people are totally like that. It's just never something that's like really Mm -hmm. come up for me too much. So for this game, like that was never really a concern. I also don't think there's a main protagonist in this game. No, there's not. I know a lot of people say it's lightning, but well, she's on the cover. But yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you can you can make just as big as an argument for uh, Snow being the main character. Well, I mean, the or, devs, and Vanille. Or Vanille. devs yeah. yeah, were the ones that even said that for a while they considered Vanille to be the main protagonist of the story. Yeah, I would not. Yeah, because she really tells you the story like she's the one who narrates it for you and, and creates the easiest path of empathy because of, as you learn, the guilt that she's carrying for it. And I think that's a thing when you talk about you don't it's not jarring to have a difference of it being you or you observing mm-hmm. a character. I find for me and I brought up Shane Echoes earlier, it had the same experience when I'm observing the character story unfold, when I'm learning what brought them here, they're trick, you know, they're peppering in their history so that I have points of meaningful interaction Mm -hmm. of understanding who they are. The delivery of the big emotional beats I find for the type of individual I am are bigger because empathy unlocks that more than if I'm just like, it's Mm -hmm. just happening to me. I'm having to connect with another point of view and be like oh wow that must really suck for you Mm. or wow that must have been really great like yeah find it's it's it elicits a greater emotional response yeah no that's a fair point for sure i didn't pick up on that from this game which is fair in fact i i don't really especially for the first half i think it got better in the second half but in the first half i don't think that the characters were written all that well Mm. i actually think they're written quite poorly uh with the exception of hope and hope starts out like he's going to be a dumpster fire. But I, I think that he has kind of the best, most complete and understandable arc. I'd agree. Next to that, I think is snow. Like you kind of hit on something. You said it goes into more of a class thing, which I'm sure it does. But also, this is a character who's who states and it's kind of like a, a one liner. He doesn't dwell on it too much for a game that probably infamously dwells on subject matter in his cutscenes. Like it keeps going back to the well. But one of the things that they established with snow and this is something again that they don't say too often is that he was an orphan so you take a character that uh probably grew up poor grew up without parents and i thought yeah i know people who are overconfident like him Mm -hmm. who really have to find a way to build themselves up because they have a a very difficult past so i know a lot of people say that he's annoying but i look at it's like you know like squall's almost kind of a real character 
Like, this is almost a real representation of something I have seen. Snow? Yeah. The rest of the cast, I, I don't really think so. I think Vanille is annoying as hell. I think <laughs> I think Fang is... I, I love Fang, by the way. She's probably my favorite character in the game, but uh, she's essentially a 2D piece of cardboard. Saz is just essentially comedic relief without being like too funny but he's he's a good he's a fun character what what wait hold on hold on you can't just breeze okay. by Saz. i like Saz. Pa- papa Saz. come on man yeah yeah i would say they all have i mean it just depends on whether the history that they afford you is compelling or not right like vanille and fang have two halves of a whole of a background of being from pulse mm. And having been part of this Ragnarok event and all of that guilt that they're that they're unpacking, mm-hmm. as well as the past that is long gone from them. And then Saz, yeah, I think like he's got the dad thing. He's got the whole like, holy shit, like that happened to your kid and you're trying to like process this trauma. It's another half to the snow story of seeing his mom die in mm-hmm. front of him and him having to go unfold that. And I think. You know, that's the other half hole with Snow is you have this lower class person in the sense of like he hasn't been afforded the same privileges as, and as a result has to be overconfident. He's not coming to the table with the same self-assurances as an upper class individual like Hope who takes trauma so seriously, whereas Snow's, on, you know, dealing with trauma constantly. Mm-hmm. This is just his life. Right. Yeah, that contrast yeah. between Hope and Snow, when you put it that way, that's fascinating. Where, yeah, I mean, Hope does grow up. He is very privileged. He grows up very wealthy. So the way he reacts to something bad happening is much different than the way that Snow handles it. Yeah, Snow, it's every day of his life since he was born. Yeah, that's not something I really thought of. And I think that's a great point. That's some, that is good writing in that aspect. I, that's why I say those two characters I really do Well, and enjoy. I think, it, yeah, and it's reflected in how Hope kind of handles that situation ultimately, too. Because, like, he he, he has what you might consider to be a little bit of this, like, over dramatic reaction of like i'm totally gonna murder this guy and then ultimately yeah, chris had the best share about that before mm. this actually sorry to cut you off no, but you're good. the animated shorty sent of it was a parody of final fantasy 13 mm-hmm. story yeah from rap tunes yeah and they had a little bit in it that was so good about this is how the death happened to hope's mother and this is how he saw it and like <laughs> Snow is screwing his mom before he throws her <laughs> off the edge and shoots her with a machine gun. I was like, yeah, that's how he saw it for sure. He was pissed. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then him like kind of ultimately when when the when the reality of the situation hits him where he's like, "Oh, this is actually happening. Like I'm about to go through with this this thing." He backs down from it, you know? So I think it's like very indicative of yeah. that difference that you're talking about that sort of like dichotomy between those two characters. And it comes from lightning too, right? Like lightning gives the background for both of their experiences Mm -hmm. in that I've had to be a mother to my sister since I was a child. And when she's trying to have, like she, she has that whole sidebar with hope to flesh his character out where he's just whining and whining and whining. She's like, look, you have to be in the moment. Like when trauma hits you, you just have to start compartmentalizing and getting through it yeah. like if you're gonna dwell in this you're dead and these guys are on our ass uh we got a timer on our arm that we're about to turn into a zombie like <laughs> we got to get out of here but then she has to un- understand that whole thing that she her compartmentalizing 
is creating this boil that's bubbling to the surface. Like she's not dealing with something. Yes, please, please kill my future brother-in-law. I don't want to deal with him. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, she's just like, just I'll worry about that later. Yeah. yeah so I, okay. I know that I'm, I'm forgetting something. So I know that at least one of you is going to keep me honest, but Chris, you mentioned the thing about Fang, about how like, she's a great, like she's great in the party, which she is. She's a fucking beast. But like, yeah, from a story perspective, we're sitting here talking about all of these different characters and I cannot for the life of me remember a single damn thing about Fang other than she was Alyssa. What was her story? Yeah, her her main story, because they unfold it in stages, hers is the final reveal yeah. and it's right at that the end. Probably why. So it's more like she's I find it kind of works well with them making her a tank. Mm. And such an effective tank, like the tank of choice, even though you have Snow, who's great, yeah. even better tank character. Yeah. She's feigning an ignorance because she thinks this is going to help Vanille, mm-hmm. who she feels is so fragile. So she's like, because their storyline is basically we created, we were at the center of the war of transgression. Right. This, this thing that cracked Cocoon, that made the hanging edge, right? Because I wouldn't even say that, that Cocoon is a moon. It's a gated community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the gated community inside of, in the globe, there was one of these Falci, one of these gods that said, I'm going to close myself off with my other god friends from the rest of you mm-hmm. after this war. And that uh, Vanille and Fang were the Lassie in that war of transgression that caused the crack and that led to the end of the pulse civilization. So they feel all this guilt and Fang's kind of thing is like, you're right, it's not as detailed, but it's more like, I've had to stay strong the whole time for you, but I, I realized I didn't have to do that. And those t- tend to come through, right? Like they're those, those X-Men moments, I call them. Cause you know how the X-Men don't get their power until they need it. Puberty that yeah. like some crazy puberty yeah. event, they get that with the Eidolans, right? The Eidolans come along and like trigger something and you get hers last. If I remember right. Vanille's is last. Or near the end. Is it Vanille's last? Yeah. But they're the ones near the end with it um, and the stories that go along, because I guess because Vanille's is the other half of that story. But Fang knows the whole time. Mm-hmm. It might, she might be last. She's just feigning the ignorance that she has amnesia that she doesn't remember. So she's just more like a stoic character, even more than Lightning, who's pretty stoic, but also the exact opposite. You know, she's kind of bipolar that yeah. way. You might be right. I think Fang's might be last because uh, that's when... They're about to go to Pulse. Oh, maybe she, I can't remember. I can't remember. It's, it's near. She, they, them two, they, they both get it out of the last one. So yeah, whatever. I guess my, yeah, I guess my point with that was that it just felt as though, even though she is it integral does. to the story in that she is one half of Ragnarok, essentially. You don't learn as much. Yeah. You don't really get as much of it. And so, you know, while, like I said, while we're sitting here talking through these character arcs and everything, it's fairly easy for me to remember you know everything about these other characters and like oh yeah this happened and this was important and then it just kind of felt like she was just like there for most of it yeah yes yeah also say once another problem with the character arcs is once they're over and you see this a lot in jrpgs this isn't exclusive to final fantasy 13 but mm-hmm. once their arc is over it's over mm-hmm. Bo finds some redemption for snow or gives up his revenge on snow and learns to respect him and, and come to terms with him and then that's pretty much the end of Hope's development. Yeah. JRPG writing 101. <laughs> Saz doesn't really develop much after he tries to commit suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only characters they kind of push and try to develop in the slightest are Vanille, 
snow and lightning. And even with snow mm-hmm. and lightning, it's just kind of like, oh, will we get to see Sarah one day? Oh, I sure hope so. <laughs> and it's just that yep. for ad nauseum. It's kind of some of my, that's why I think they're kind of poorly written. You can put it under a microscope and look at it, but I think the way that they are presented to the player is sometimes corny and cheesy and of course sometimes the best arcs end too soon i also think the villains not very well written no like what is except bartandalus i kind of like how crazy well i just like this idea of like you're right it's not that deep but the idea of like this being this sort of like a a tolkien dragon who slumbered too long and is like i want to see if there's something on the other side of the veil like i want to see if there's something bigger than this and I heard somewhere in a book I read that if you just murder everybody, <laughs> that might break, crack the veil. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to try that. It's just, I don't think his motives ever really made sense to me. They just seem to kind of be all over the place. Yeah. Ultimately, he wants to, he wants to meet his maker. Yeah. That's always the ongoing drive is like, you're slowly realizing that, oh, I'm dealing with somebody like a more Greek mythology figure, these highly emotional, um, powerful beings that make these drastic decisions and the scale of which those decisions cause disruption amongst the lowly beings and some of those lowly beings being people that look and act and feel like us. Mm. Uh, but you're right. Like it's not deep. He's not profound, but he is terrifying. True. Like he's fucking crazy. No, he's very, very much so. He's crazy. Not cool. Kafka crazy, but crazy. <laughs> no, he's like, I will murder everybody. Because I, I want to meet God. It's like, okay, man, take it easy, bro. Is he Mormon too? Yeah, I know. It sounds like one. <laughs> Sorry, Mormons. We love you. Yeah, I guess just to kind of circle back on, on, the, on the plot discussion here, I, I will say that I think counter to what some other folks, especially initially, thought about how it was presented specifically, <laughs> perhaps unsurprisingly as a fan of, of the Souls series, uh, the communication via item descriptions and things like that does does not bother me at all. Frankly, I would rather take that over what you generally get, especially even in this very series of games prior to this, which is just massive steaming exposition dumps. It's the worst. I can't stand that I, shit. I cannot oh, either. It drives me mental. And it's actually, I, I think I've brought this up at least once, but uh, it, it is one of the reasons why i have started playing radiant historia and cannot for the fucking life of me actually get into it (laughs) because that game is so exposition heavy right off the get that i'm just like just you're your your game just let me play the fucking game <laughs> just let me oh play my the god. game god damn it though there is you know this game does have its fair share of exposition with i i feel like it's balanced enough like this game really and i'll i'll this is going to tie into when we talk about the visual representation of this game as well but i feel like in ter- especially in terms of the final fantasy series this is like this is almost like this is like ff arcade in a lot of ways yeah true and and i'm i'm honestly i'm for that uh, you know, g- give me the story. I love that description. But like, I really like that it's pretty well balanced with some pretty, you know, meaty gameplay as well. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a great transition into the gameplay. Agreed. Mm. And what we think of that. I know we've been talking a lot about the the hallways. Do we want to <laughs> yes. just get that out of the way? Do we want to talk yes. about that straight off? Sure. Yes. Yes. Because I'd like it. Yeah. I don't mind it. 
It never bothered me. I don't mind it either. It it does. The only issue I do have with it, and I, I start to realize what it is about other games that what they do, because Final Fantasy X is a hallway. Yeah. For a lot of the game. Very much so. But the difference between like Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XIII, I think if XIII did this, I think a lot of people would probably cut it more slack. Mm-hmm. Is in Final Fantasy X, you do go to cities. Villages I, is so true. And, it's yeah. such a weakness in the game. And you're able to walk around, you're able to interact with NPCs, get more background about, you know, that's where you get your lore, is talking to people. Yep. Here in, in Final Fantasy XIII, like, you can occasionally walk up to someone and talk to them, but for the most part, you can't. You just walk by them and they ha- you have to catch the dialogue that they are saying. Very rare. Yeah. It's, it's constantly, as you were talking about in, in the thematics here, constantly pushing you forward. At some point, it's just like, I want to be able to just not move forward for a little bit. And the game yeah, never lets up. Other than that, I don't mind no. it because I do like it makes it so I don't get lost. I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on any items. I can see the entire map and know where I'm supposed to go for the most part, unless there's something like really off the beaten path that you don't really see until you get to like pulse or something. Yeah, the linearity does not bother me and always tells you which way you need to go if you want to go there. Mm -hmm. So no issues for me whatsoever on that. I just wish I had like a city or two. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing, well, the city thing doesn't bother me. Honestly, that's like part of I mean, it's those are nice. Fine. Whatever. But uh, honestly, and I think this is where our gameplay styles certainly uh, differ, or at least the contrast between the two is, is sort of gets a light shined on here is that. I would rather just the game continue moving forward. Like I don't, a lot of the times the lulls are what kind of tend to lose me in some games where I'm just like, Mm -hmm. okay, you want me to go and talk to every fucking NPC in this village before you're going to let me move on because you want me to learn something, I guess. Like I just sometimes, sometimes it's done well and it doesn't generally like bother me, but there are certain games where it kind of takes that to an extreme where it will actually just like hard gate you until you talk to like a specific NPC. I hate that kind of sucks. So that part didn't really bother me too much. As far as the hallway thing, it, I don't, I didn't care. I thought it was fine. And I totally agree with your points, especially being someone who is very vocal about the fact that I absolutely despise missable content in games. Right. Mm. Having it fairly straightforward and just like, this is where you go. Maybe there's one small little branch here and, oh, look, you found a little chest thing. Congratulations. Fine. I'm cool with that. The one thing that did bother me a little bit is how long it took to get to what this game considers to be. It's like open world portion. Yeah. Yes. Because it felt like a tutorial that was 30 hours long. It was. That's one of the weak parts because they yeah. they reinvent the entire. I mean, this is a as a longtime Final Fantasy fan. Hmm. I go into every game expecting like part of their trope setup is we're rebooting the whole series every yeah, time. Of course you are. Yeah. Every time you see a number in front of this game, we're rebooting the entire series. Nothing is the same. Every game essentially is a series in and of itself now. Yeah. And as a result of that, and that really starts coming home in 10 and then is elevated in 13 of this whole idea of like, even the games are their own series is all these subversions that come in and the subversions in the gameplay, which I love that you call FF arcade. I'm, I'm ganking that. That's perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. that's, that's a free, perfect. That's a freebie. Go ahead. Yeah. That's perfect. Is there's so much they're trying to explain to you to play it right. And this is where I'll bring back before I forget 
in the gameplay element is perfect is I was playing it earlier in the year. And as you know, anyone who knows me on the discord, I bitch when I'm frustrated with the game, I'm like such a, <laughs> oh, I rage so much when I game. My wife's like, why do you even do this to yourself? I'm like, cause I like it. I just know it's not apparent. It's like the elation of when I finally figure it out. It's like a feeling second to none in a lot of ways. I live for the rage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that I've, I've had that discussion a number of times specifically yeah. with <laughs> souls games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll just be sitting there and I'm just completely losing my shit because I've died like for the eighth time on a boss. And she's like, do you do this to relax? Huh? And I'm like, yes, this is fun. <laughs> so yeah i get it don't question me yeah <laughs> yeah me every time metroid comes around again <laughs> i'm trying to like listen to the gameplay in this so they're trying to teach you many things and one of the first things that popped to me where i was trying to project my game style into the game versus what was the game trying to tell me to, to do mm-hmm. was the first time i played bartandalus i'll macro this in a second to the overall game but i was dying like crazy like he was mm-hmm. working me just banking me like was horrible mm-hmm. and i and i like to go into every game with the i'll, I'll highlight a episode of your guys i just finished today of the shining force 2 ah, yes way of like defensive and healing that's always been my approach to jrpgs i'm very much like red mage white mage like that's mm-hmm. that's my style and this game has no fucking time for that it <laughs> will destroy you if that's the path that you're gonna choose for the majority, yes. It wants you to live on the edge at all times. Like, be comfortable almost being dead, and you'll succeed. Um, if you're not comfortable with that, the actual main villain of Bartandalus coming three times, he, he's designed to counter that effectively by meaning you're taking too long, and he's just going to grow in his power, and y- you can't level up enough for him to just spank you. He also casts Doom on you. Yeah. And then, yes, later on, you get that added to your whole series of problems. So I think, you know, the gameplay in a lot of ways is trying to tell you everything it has to say and how it wants you to play. Like the Idolans do this every time they come in. They're trying to tell you, like, this is another way in which to use the paradigm system. So the Idolans always unlock like a paradigm choice. This is going to be a paradigm and this is how it works. And every paradigm over time, as I listened to it, I was like, oh, because the first two times I played it, I didn't really understand them. The third time I was like, oh, these paradigms make like perfect sense for these situations. Like if I'm in this situation, this is why I would resort to this tactic. But because there's so many tactical approaches and, and how they want you to switch between them and set up your different characters, mm-hmm. it's this long ass tutorial mm-hmm. and it can be exhausting as a result. I can agree with that. You have to be in the mood to want to learn what it's telling you, because if you're just trying to project yourself into it, it's frustrating. And it's like, no, I just want to move forward. It's like, well, you're not going to unless you fucking pay attention. What is it? I don't want to play a game or I'm told it takes 20 hours before it gets good. That phrase was born with Final Fantasy 13. Yep. Because prior to Final Fantasy 13, I had not heard that before. Now it's a common phrase in gaming. Oh, it's a good game, but you guys got to wait 20 hours before it gets good. That's Final Fantasy 13. Uh, but I do think it's a good time to get into the paradigms and the battle system, which I find is like the evolved and refined form of Final Fantasy X-2, which makes sense because Katase and Motomo Toriyama, Katase mm-hmm. and uh, Motomo Toriyama, they were both worked on Final Fantasy X-2 as well. So those similarities in the battle system 
it makes a lot of sense. And Final Fantasy X-2 is also praised for its battle system. So those being too similar, those both being really similar, it's it's in line. And what essentially the paradigms are is a job system. But instead of having 30 jobs like in Final Fantasy V or even like a bunch of jobs like you have in Ten Two, it's refined down to what, six jobs? I think six jobs. I think so. Five or six, yeah. Yeah. Which is commando, ravager, sentinel, uh, sentinel, saboteur, medic, mm-hmm. and synergist. Mm-hmm. And yep. they all have they all have their own functions that are unique and swapping between them uh, and and managing the battles essentially what you're doing. And I do say managing because it's not yeah. direct input for the most part. No, you're a team manager like in baseball. Yeah. What what do you think of it, Shane? So, on the surface, I actually really really liked this system. I thought it was I feel like it's an overused term, but I feel like it's apt, but I I, I thought it was a pretty refreshing take on things, frankly. Mm-hmm. I listen, I'm I am always a sucker for a good turn-based battle system. I still have mixed feelings about like the whole ATB thing because that sort of skirts the line of also my extreme distaste for having timers in games. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't like being feels told like we just that, made an episode about what you don't like in games. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, so it kind of skirts that line. But I can I can deal with it. But no, I I actually really liked this, and I know one of the criticisms, especially early on, was the fact that you do not have direct control over. The other members of your party. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the fact that you really only have three at any given time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any issue with that. I think part of that is just not having a lot of that, you know, like pre-built notion of what I thought this game should be just because I wasn't super into RPGs prior to this, um, specifically Final Fantasy style games. And I, I actually really like the the sort of pseudo management aspect of it. Um, it's very micromanagey in a way that I think only appeals to a certain type of person. Um, and given that I'm somebody who likes to play healers in MMOs where I'm play basically just playing like whack-a-mole with people's health bars, uh, <laughs> this, this kind of fits right in my wheelhouse, I think in that way. So mm-hmm. I, I actually really liked it. I will say that I think the one thing that frustrated me with this particular system was the fact that the game itself had a very clear idea of what it wanted you to use at what time. And if you Mm -hmm. did not do that, you are going to fail. Oh, rapidly too. Yeah. Like you will just get fucking spent. That's the FF arcade aspect of it too. It's (laughs) kind of like, this is what you have to do. Yeah. It's pretty much just an overcomplicated quick time event. I guess if you really think about it, not to mention if you figure out what you're supposed to do, Here's here's what frustrated me in battles mm. like, oh, I got to swap now because I'm not doing the right thing. Right. They have to do a dance. <laughs> yeah. They have to make a pose. <laughs> That's that 10 2 aspect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's very but flashy. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop your opponents. They're no. still free to move and do whatever the hell you want to. But it completely freezes you from doing anything. So while you're changing, the enemy is like, oh, OK, I'm just going to attack you while you're dancing here. And uh, <laughs> OK, you're dead now. And it's like, yeah, but I I did the thing. I, I should be healing. No. Yeah. The shift animation without a dress fear is rather frustrating. Yeah. Very frustrating. And so I think that's the one, the one aspect of it, like the, the system on paper and, and generally in practice for what I would argue the majority of this game experience, I actually really enjoyed. And once I got my yes. head wrapped around it and as much as I sort of bemoan the like, you know, 
30 hour tutorial mm-hmm. in this game. It's a hundred percent necessary for this exact reason. I would argue maybe though, that they could have opened the game up a little bit sooner. Like they didn't have to confine the tutorial portion to nothing, but just always for the first 30 hours. Right. We probably could have gotten to that field a little bit sooner, but maybe that's a nitpick. The one thing that sticks out to me and I I'm, I guess I'm jumping around a little bit, but it is very much related. And that is that is the Eidolon fights. So specifically, mm, specifically Odin, I got cock blocked on that Odin encounter where I just I put this game down for like several days <laughs> yep. because I just could not for the fucking life of me do what they wanted me to do. And, you know, my my previous experiences with RPGs, I was just like. I'm under leveled. I guess mm-hmm. I need to go back and grind. No, nope. you nope. can't do that. <laughs> Even if you could, no. that's usually not the problem. It's the it's the tact. It's a, it's a skill issue. As, it's as the, the, it's the tactical skill approach. Issue. I find every time I had that, I had it with hope big time on his. I was so fucking pissed at that fight. Alex, yeah. Alexander. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine was, uh, what was the one that made me almost rage quit was, uh, Vanille's like, I can't even say the name, like hit and care or whatever it's called. Yeah. 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 That one was just absolutely infuriating. Even I had to go to a fact and be like, how do I beat this boss? Yeah, because it's always this is the choice you have. It's usually one to three different uh, paradigms that you have to be going between. Yep. And Well, even then, even with the fact doing exactly what it said, I was still getting my ass kicked. Mm. It's like, fuck. The margin for error on those fights specifically is very slim. Yes. That's what I mean. It wants you to live on the edge all the time, I found. And that was what helped me with the final boss fight when you fight Bartandalus mm-hmm. like the mm. third time was I did it in one try. I never thought it was going to happen. And thank God it was like an hour long <laughs> But because yeah. I was like, you got to live on the edge. That's what it wants me to do. Like I have to almost be dead the whole time. I kind of disagree with you because okay, the fair. best, the best setup is hope fang and vanille and that's when oh. you start out not not hope fang and vanille uh hope, hope. fang and lightning lightning yeah, yeah and the, best trio yeah. and the far. reason why is because you start out the battle with one being a saboteur the other being a synergist and the other being a medic mm-hmm. which is to buff and debuff you yep. are inherently the best way to play it is to play defensively off the bat and then spam offense and then going to become a turtle shell when you need to heal yourself and that's yeah, that's, that's what definitely I found. the route yeah but that's what i mean is like you're buffing and then you got to go as long and hard. <laughs> that's what Long, she's hard buff. <laughs> into the attack until you're like, until they do whatever trigger event. And then yeah. you pull off. Like if you stagger them and you get them going, like the stagger is something you have to pay attention to for all bosses, all characters of like, I'm trying to stagger them. Okay, I've got them down. Now I need to go either heal or get back and put my buffs back up. Yeah. And that was also one of the things that I did struggle with a little bit as well as you have to ha- you have those decision points of like okay i i managed to push through and i i cracked that stagger bar and so now okay do i do i take this like m- you know momentary reprieve to try to recover or do i take advantage of this situation no. and just go balls out on damage and swap to a paradigm with like you know whatever ravagers or something and just mm-hmm. go ham on this motherfucker until they stand up again Go ham. And then if you see this, you've only got so much stagger left, then you're like, now do I heal? Like I'm always right away. This is the only time I'm going to do any meaningful damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got to take as much of this time as possible. And then it's like, how close to death do I want to (laughs) be? Or am I going to really take this risk? 
and and I think that part of it also it took me a while to get used to because as someone who generally plays a support class in other games it I cannot describe to you how like uncomfortable it makes me to see health bars that are not topped off like yes. like the, the fact that like you have you almost have to run your characters at less than max health because if you spend all your time just micromanaging healing you're just you're just gonna die anyway it's super stressful yeah. i agree i when i started as a kid i played D D as a kid mm-hmm. advanced second edition that's the only like paper D D I ever played mm-hmm. And I was a cleric and that like informed the rest of my RPG life. Yep. There you go. Be the healer. That was it. Cause I remember at one point Chris is like, well, I always may grow on a boss. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I should try that. Maybe I should try to just straight out attack. And the more I did that, the better, but I was stressed every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like anything about this. <laughs> and that's, that's really the, the key to the game is filling up. Like you guys said, filling up that stagger meter swapping over to ravagers building up the stagger meter and then once it's filled swapping over to commandos mm. and then doing yep. everything you Just can hammer in between fang and lightning commando keep them up like knock them up in the sky and like try and time it perfectly that you keep them up there oh yeah yeah one other criticism mm. that i want to see if you guys have as well is while the game does want you to experiment with the the various different classes and characters what i found is it actually de-incentivized you from doing so mm-hmm. because uh m- most of the game Leading up until I think Hope got haste, I was working with Lightning, Saz, and Hope as my primary party because they're both okay. synergists, synergists, and I would get a quick buff on all my characters until that just became infeasible because Saz's offensive output is is subpar, say, to put mm-hmm. it lightly. He's not a very good offensive character. No. But if I wanted to swap it out, like let's say I wanted to put Snow in there and like Snow, Lightning, and Fang and just be an offensive brutish force. Every single time I moved a character in and out of my party, I had to reset all my paradigms again. It's annoying. It didn't save it, even if you bring it back to the characters that you had before. Mm-hmm. It, Agreed. It, it doesn't it's allow annoying. you to experience and it makes you stay with a party that you probably aren't happy with just because you don't want to reset all your paradigms and figure it out again. It's a quality of life feature they've got to do. Yeah. Like whenever they go and I mean, I don't know how you're going to remaster this game because it looks fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a lot of little quality of life issues uh, relative to the menus and that, that I agree. If I could have like saved setups for swapping people out, it would make it so much easier. I agree with that because you're like, I'm not setting these back up. Like, fuck yeah. that. This is my team now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what uh, we're stuck with. Well, so I was getting my ass kicked and it was like, oh, I want to change, but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that that is definitely a detractor. But I would even I would just go so far as to say that I don't think I, I feel like this game is a little at odds with itself in that particular department because it feels like they kind of want you to experiment with things where they're just like, yeah, look, look at this paradigm system where you can have all these different combinations and every possible combination of, of jobs. We even gave it a cute little name. Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. The reality of the situation is you're actually punished for experimenting because there's, as we said, incredibly specific setups that either are required for certain encounters or are just plain better than others and like when you said what your team was like your your go-to three i was just like yep that's mine it's the same i was yeah yeah that was it those three together are the only way i could survive i felt like like, there's there's nothing hope fang and lightning there was no other way i felt comfortable 
Yeah, there was nothing yeah, that even came close. And when you, the only time I changed was story beats when you exactly. had to get forced into it. That was and it. And that felt bad too because I was just yep. like, no, I want to use my good party. Like, what the <laughs> yeah, fuck is this? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of unfortunate because and that's why I said like I like this system sort of on paper almost because yep. I really really do like what they were trying to do. Like I like having those different combinations, but I also appreciate that there's a it's a very focused set of options. It's not like yeah, some of those other it. Yeah. It's not like some other games where they're just like, yeah, we gave you like 40 character classes to choose from. I don't fucking figure it out. I'm just like, that does not appeal to me at all. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I never got into Path of Exile, which I know Randall's probably going to see that that and I'll get comments <laughs> later in Discord. Steaming right now. But like, that is the reason. And so I really, really appreciated that they took that very focused approach to this and was like, all right, let's create this system that has the potential for a lot of flexibility but also is like compact enough that it's it's easily understandable. Yeah. Once you kind of wrap your head around like how things interact with each other. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with all that. And, you know, then there's like a lot of the other decisions outside of your paradigms and you're in battle engagement with trying to hit stagger bars. Mm. All you're really looking to accomplish is like which weapon do i have to upgrade and how do i collect enough stuff for this like they they they're not interested in you buying a whole bunch of different material you're more zoned in on what materials do i need for this weapon i've had since the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. i also think that the weapons are secondary to your casterium or the upgrade Mm -hmm. system level system which essentially is the same level up system that they had in final fantasy Uh, sphere grid sphere grid it's the same thing it's just three it dimensional. It's literally yeah. a sphere grid. And like, cause yeah, if you level up your weapon 10, 10 levels, you'll, you'll spend a ton of resources, which can cost you quite a bit of money, which you have a pretty difficult time getting in this game in general. Oh yeah. Like all getting the money yeah. all, the time. all the way to the end, yeah. unless you find a specific place to farm certain items to sell them. Like that's the only way. Yeah. And that's just it. Then you're farming, but you're never rich in this game ever. But you could, you could either level up your weapon for 10 levels. That'll give you like 30 strength, maybe 15 magic or some combination of that. Or you can go into the Castarium and with your experience points, after you fight a couple battles and get like plus 24 strength, plus 40 strength, plus 25 magic. So the game really wants you to level up your character more in the crystarium than it does 100%. your your weapon however you still need to level your weapon up over time because if you're at the end of the game with a weapon that has like 10 attack and 13 magic you're you're still going to be struggling like there's there is the expectation that you are investing in it but definitely your character is far more important than your weapon yeah it's your secondary buff system it's your late game like advancement system you're you're focusing crystarium first your main jobs that's your first goal how do i max these out and then if you're now at this point where you're in the open area of Pulse, in Grand Pulse, now you're looking for materials to do those final upgrades, get those legendary or ultimate weapons, mm-hmm. which you essentially have for those three characters we mentioned from the beginning of the game. It's just finding the materials to unlock that potential. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you brought up the weapons, which uh, I'm actually I'm interested to hear both of your thoughts on that, because th- this was one of those things where I actually... Oddly enough, as someone who likes loot RPGs like like Diablo, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like they were entirely unnecessary. Like there there didn't yeah. need to be 
multiple kinds of weapons for each character like if you there's too many yeah it's it, honestly yes it's it, there even there isn't even a lot frankly but no i think no. that's still too many like i think every Agreed. character should have just had their signature weapon and you could just get like upgrade materials and just upgrade it like essentially it, it, that's what you had was like well, most of, of the characters but most really. of the characters ultimate weapon was their original weapon that you would upgrade to a certain point yeah sure but like I, and i agree with shane on this like 100 percent. and what i would like would have rather seen is that you get three weapons one that focuses on magic one that's balanced and one that focuses on strength and you you can level that up depending on depending on your play style mm -hmm. with that character so like for for lightning the way that she levels up in the crystarium at the beginning of the game i think okay i'm going to put all my stuff into strength mm -hmm. but by the end of the game i'm like okay i need her to be more balanced mm -hmm. and i would start maybe leveling up my my materials into a more balanced weapon but they have they have those weapons that are more focused on attack and magic and balance but then they're like well this one has a stagger lock and this one has atb boost and this one requires 1500 to level up and this one requires 300 to level up and it's just like i don't have the amount of resources to invest in every single one of these weapons no you can pick one yeah and i can only pick one and if you start leveling up early and you realize oh shit this weapon's better it's almost not worth it because you've invested so many resources into the weapons you've already set. And that's, yeah, you can't that's do multiple thing. weapons. Yeah. And that's the thing that bothers me about it is like that. That's why I think it's, it's unnecessary because it's not mm -hmm. always super clear about no. what like each of the pros and cons of the weapons for those characters are. And granted, I think they did kind of do a lot of what you were getting at Chris, where like the different mm -hmm. weapons do work better depending on what sort of build style you're going to go with. It does. Yeah. With that character. I just don't think it was, like I said, I don't think it was very clear. And uh, I just, I just, like I said, I think it was unnecessary. Like, I think just not even just completely throw the weapon thing out the window and just agreed. Every character has a weapon. That's what they start with. And if you wanted to build the weapon in a different way, like a pseudo, you know, sphere grid or talent tree style or something, or, you know, that I'd be fine with that because then you'd have a choice, but it would just be pretty clear as to what that choice is. But yeah, I this was one of the things I actually ended up having to go and look up because I could Same. not in good conscience, like make that decision. I was, I was having the decision paralysis of just like, OK, well, I mean, this one seems good, but these resources are really scarce. And like, do I waste it on this? Like, is this good? And I don't know that. It just kind of feels bad, like from a gameplay perspective, you know? Yeah, I agree. And leveling up your accessories is a complete waste of fucking time. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's some that have a value, some accessories, but majority, again, aren't valuable. Uh, I think Can you find a replacement for it like 10 minutes after you get the other one. Yeah. No, I think I think if they needed to do something like having a, a its own skill tree to the weapon, that's a good idea or and or probably need both having the resources not be so damn difficult to acquire because like yeah, yeah. they are not easy to come by. Oh, but they are in the post game. <laughs> yeah. But even then you couldn't do <laughs> Yeah. You couldn't do all the weapons unless you had like teenager time. Like you <laughs> exactly. would have to be playing well over 150 hours to do all the weapons. Oh, sure. I think this kind of caps off the gameplay. Yeah. Unless we really have any more to say. We, we spent a lot of time here as we usually do. Usually. I was going to say yeah. one again, but. Don't want to want to say want. 
<laughs> but I guess this is time to move on to this game's presentation, starting out with the graphics. Hey, Shane, let's kick it off with you. How do you think this game looked? Man, this game looks fucking great. Like, I, <laughs> I don't necessarily have a ton to say, but like it, this was one of those games where and I think actually even Brianna made a comment about it, if I remember correctly, when I fired this up. On my 360, as I said, you know, earlier in the episode, this I came to this game way later. So I was honestly, I was not expecting much. I was just like, all right, this is an, it's been around for a while. This game's probably aged. Like, let's let's see what's going on here. And I don't know if it's just me. It might be because I'm old and maybe I'm easily impressed by things. But like, I was genuinely surprised at how good this game still looks. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks fucking great. Yeah. And the thing is, is, and this is where I was going to kind of like tie these things together when I was talking about when I brought up the thing about like FF arcade is like, I think to the game's benefit, uh, and usually this is one of those trade-offs, right? Is like you're either and less so nowadays, but back then it, you're either going to have a bigger game just overall as the, as far as the experience is concerned, but then you might have to sacrifice on, you know, like the presentation because you're just, you only have so many resources to work with. Right. Or you have a much more focused experience where you can really just dig into getting all of that juice out of that squeeze as you possibly can, as far as the, you know, the system's hardware is concerned. And I think that's where this kind of leans more towards. And that's where maybe that much more, you know, uh, streamlined experience benefits FF 13 in that it is by RPG standards, a much smaller game. So I think there was the ability to have a much bigger focus on just making what is there look really fucking good. So to me, this game feels like, like a theme park RPG. Like when people refer Fair, to yeah. world of Warcraft as a theme park MMO, it's because you know, it's something that is geared more towards like, OK, we're going to guide you as a player from this set piece to this set piece to this set piece and look at how cool they are. And it's not so much of like a sandbox, like it's still a very guided experience. And this is very much that, but like distilled to like the very essence of what that is. And so I feel like theme park RPG, it's not a derogatory term as far as I'm concerned, but I, I feel like it really fits this very well because it is that it's like. Okay, we're going to direct you through this section and then look at this neat thing and all these cool like enemies you're fighting and now let's go to this next thing and everything that they sort of bring you to just is done exceptionally well. And so like everything just looks fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. I agree with that in full. Well, expound on that, John. This game's fucking beautiful. This game's beautiful. Like it's it was beautiful when I played it on the 360 at my buddy's house when he had, you know, at that time it would have been some sort of like Vizio LCD TV with a 360. Heck yeah. You know, now that I finally have money in my life and I have a nice like OLED gaming TV and I'm pushing it out of the uh, Series X. Holy shit. Every time I look forward to this game so much to look at it. It has to be one of the greatest visual experiences I've ever had in gaming. Its cinematics are fantastic. Some of its cinematography, like that sequence where you're remembering the raid on the Fall Sea and Snow is coming in there with Sarah on the bike. Mm. And there's this like sweeping camera where he's on the beach and it comes up and you have that big look at that huge Fall Sea. 
there's like some directorial like cinema uh, cinematography decisions through the cinematics that just blow my mind. It's just so striking. The army of one fight still is one of my favorite Final Fantasy moments ever. Like I every time I start off like that, that is like such an improvement upon Act One with Squall with rather uh, Cloud on the train <laughs> to Midgar. Mm-hmm. Like they they amped it up to eleven on this one. And then the in-game graphics with the uh, character models on the Series X. Holy shit, they just look great. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you would not know, especially my wife knows nothing about gaming. And I would ask her, like, when do you think this game came out? Like, it doesn't look like it would have come out any other time than now. That's right. what's impressive about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I just pretty much can echo everything you both said. And I played this on the PlayStation 3 originally, which is the superior one visually uh, compared to the 360, just because it's on a Blu-ray. I actually think, remember, remembering when I first played this, I'm like, oh, now I'm finally starting to see what the PlayStation 3 can do that the Xbox can't. Or at least that was my thought Mm -hmm. process, because this this game is just visually stunning to the artistic choices when it comes to style, to the way it blends color, to the way it designs its environments to the absolutely stunning cinematics. And I, I do want to stress that this still looks good on your PS3 or Xbox 360. 100%, yeah. If, if you do play this on an Xbox Series S, X, PC, whatever the case might be, you're going to get an even better experience. I think I was playing it, at the, the cinematics, the one that took me back a lot and just made me go, wow, were those scenes at night where Snow and Sarah are flying around like mm. during the fireworks. Oh, yeah. yeah. And... Just playing that on a 4K TV. I don't have an OLED and it's just your standard kind of 4K 60 hertz TV. But just seeing it there is just it's it was jaw dropping just how good it looked. I took screenshots and I couldn't even upload them to Discord because they were too large. (laughs) It's a fact. That's how you know that you're playing with upgrades. You're playing with power. If you are playing this on a 360, if that's the best way you can get it, because the, the game is dirt cheap right now. It's like five to ten dollars if you want to go get it. But uh, that's that's going to be the lowest quality of visuals you're going to be able to get. But remember, this game's 13 years old. It looks like it could have come out at the beginning of the PlayStation 4 Xbox One era of gaming. Now, yes, the character models, if you look at them close enough, you can tell they're from a previous generation. There's not much you can do with character models, but I've seen games that have come out on the PS4 and Xbox One recently, and especially Nintendo Switch, that look worse than this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this game definitely holds up in the graphical department. Absolutely. No doubt. How does this game sound? Let's kick it over to you. What do you think of the audio presentation, John? Well, the audio for the most part is a lot of the typical bells and whistles you're going to get from Final Fantasy. There's certain sounds that you're going to be used to. Maybe not echo like or rather like echoes of past sounds. I think where the the strength comes in is the score. And this is not Uematsu that scores this no. one. And yet, holy shit, do I fucking love the score on this. And what drives me crazy because I've always loved the score is the I forget what track it is. It's not prelude, obviously, because that's a reoccurring motif in these, but it's the song near the beginning of the game, the piano version. Is it like like hands, something hands? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like trying to look at my notes real quick. Oh, The Promise. Okay. That, fuck, that song is so pretty. Like there are some pretty, pretty songs in this. 
And then they mix in, interestingly enough, this sort of like hard guitar riffs with this like EDM sort of backing to it to kind of push the momentum at times. I really like the music in this game a lot. Like I still play this and I'm not a play a lot of gaming music type of person. I'm kind of stuck in a few Final Fantasy games and I really like the Kingdom Hearts music a lot, but I'm not constantly playing video game music uh, like a lot of fans. But 13 is a score. I just fucking love the the score in this game. Now, I'll agree. Like the music quality, I think the tracks are really good. It was composed by uh, Masashi Hamauzu. And I think it's it's really, really good. He's the same composer who did the Final Fantasy VII remake soundtrack. Mm-hmm. If you want something to stand out. He was also on Final Fantasy X as well. Uh, what I find here that I miss with Uematsu is I think with Uematsu the song placement was far more appropriate with when Uematsu was in charge here it didn't always sound like the correct music selection was in the right place and there were times where I felt like uh there's a little bit of a balancing issue sometimes the music would come in a little loud over the sound acting nothing major not too much to the detriment but even I was playing it once we were uh, I was going through Grand Pulse trying to do the Seath missions uh the side, little side quests mm-hmm. uh prior to going to Orphan's Cradle at the end of the game and my wife said the music sounded like I was in Santa's workshop. And I, I <laughs> actually think that's quite appropriate comparison. Doesn't sound like you're in a vast wilderness. Like compare no. the, the music on Grand Pulse to uh, if, if you play Xenoblade Chronicles, you know, uh, the song that plays on Gower Plains mm-hmm. and the one that on Gower Plains is like that makes it feel like you're actually in a wide open environment. And those games didn't come out too far away from each other. So, yes, the score itself is very impressive. I think it's very well written. Sounds fantastic. But I don't always think that there's the proper selection of of a track when placed in certain moments or in certain environments. That's actually a a good critique. I can I can see where you're going and where it showcases the uniqueness of Uematsu in that sense. Shane. Yeah, I'm not really sure that I can add too much to to what both of you has, have said I, I i generally agree with the the overall sentiment i think i personally i i did actually really appreciate something that was already brought up as far as like that really good marriage between sort of the more like sweeping orchestral style and then the like electro slash like guitar in there and like they did it in such a way that it never feels like jarring like, I think it all meshes really well. And it's funny, too, because something like this is it can be very indicative of the time mm. that a game came out, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially with like like the the electronic style of music, because there is much more of, like you said, like an EDM kind of vibe to this game, whereas for a while, uh, you know, you'd get later on more of like a dubstep kind of thing, like mixed mm-hmm. in with stuff like all the time and uh, then you'd get like more synthy things like as we're kind of like circling back around to like the 80s nostalgia wave and you know like retro wave slash synth wave kind of stuff and so like sonically it's it's always interesting because it is sort of like almost this like time capsule Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways Uh, but i i did really appreciate it i really don't think there's too much that i could really nitpick you know, it's it it has the production quality that I would expect from from a full fledged FF release, and uh, and yeah, I just I enjoyed it. I think everything was on point. What about the voice acting? Oh, there I was wondering. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was mostly fine. 
honestly. I mean, especially compared to even some previous games in this series in particular. But I feel like you have something specific in mind by bringing up oh, that question. Oh, he has one character specifically. Yeah, I know he does. So why don't you just go ahead and get to it? <laughs> Fuck Vanille. <laughs> there it is. Not, not only that, okay. Not only do I, do I not, maybe, and I've seen John post in our Discord that she was directed to speak that way. Yeah, yeah. I, like, that was the dictation she was supposed to do. That was the acting guidance she was given. Okay, whatever. It's still terrible. The fact that you bring her into battle and lightning does this too. It sounds like she's making sex noises the Mm -hmm. entire time (laughs) or she's playing tennis. Take your pick because it's like, uh, uh, I mean, to be uh, fair, her weapon does kind of look like a racket. It does. I guess, I guess it does. (laughs) Sometimes like in battle, the voice acting is just weird. Sometimes they like blur out some stuff. Like, did they really make that noise? (laughs) Okay. I I guess we're doing that. I, I do think for the most part, like, Lightning's monotone, but it fits her character. Sass is really good. Snow's a little overacted, but I still think it works. Mm-hmm. Hope is actually, he, he sounds like a, a kid that age. He mm-hmm. sounds like a teenager. I don't know if it actually was a teenager, but it's, it's very well done. The, the, some of the NPCs sound pretty fucking terrible. Yeah. Who's that one guy that has a southern accent? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> but the main characters themselves, the protagonists, they're they're for the most part fine, except for for Aussie jailbait. <laughs> she definitely has the jailbait angle at times, but one thing I do like about her voice acting aside from that cuz I agree it's it's like weird fan service nonsense is the contrast of her narrative voice to her playful innocent voice when she's around the party for the majority of the game. Like she's trying to play ignorant constantly, but she seems very knowledgeable obviously being the narrator. And you can hear that tonal shift. Whenever that voice actress is narrating, it's a very different tonal approach. Mm. And I like that because it was, you kind it kind of made me aware more. Like I said, I, I'm more, as I age, I can understand the nuances more with just the experience of reading and engaging with media in general of what are you trying to prompt me to receive? And she's in game playing coy constantly. Oh, mm. I don't know what's going on. I only like, cracked this whole entire uh community open but nah i forget all that and then Mm -hmm. when she's narrating she's kind of explaining like i'm trying to come to terms to telling you something that i don't want to tell you and i could hear that in the voice and i appreciated that in the voice and i know they say lightning is stoic and she definitely is but she's also hyper emotional like the second she's triggered she just goes off constantly especially when you're in the reflection moments like she can't hold it together She's extremely emotional. And then she returns to like, oh, that never happened. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And there was a lot of great tonal choices in the presentation that still games aren't hitting at times. And it's not like this hits it, you know, archetypally well that it needs to be followed again. But when we see the growth in Final Fantasy voice acting from the previous entries, like this crew seems to have gotten better direction and the performances seem to have delivered more for the uh the gamer as a result like i was getting the the nuances of of what i'm supposed to feel and what i'm supposed to understand out of those performances all right so while we were talking i went and looked up just to refresh my memory because it has been a few years yep you're right i forgot about this maybe i blocked it out of my memory on purpose yeah yeah i like all of the voice acting except for that 
that's I it, it's coming back to me now, actually, it's because egregious for sure. I we definitely did point it out. And I, I know for a fact that Brianna, at least on one occasion, made a comment about how she was pretty sure that that girl was just straight up like having an orgasm mid fight or something. So <laughs> it was a weird jailbait era. Like, let's not yeah. forget the game that everyone wants that. No, the game everyone wants to replace Final Fantasy 13 with is Lost Odyssey. Mm, and yes. that has a much more, in my opinion, egregious example of mm-hmm. this with an even younger girl that I'm like, this is a weird fan service part that I'm not into. <laughs> I don't remember that part. The and two I don't kids. Think... There's the two kids, the boy and the girl. I know, yeah. And they, yeah. they sexualize that little girl way too much no. for comfort. <laughs> way too much for comfort. I don't remember that and I'm happy I don't. Yeah. Like it's not, uh, not it's not <laughs> bad, but in this in this temperament. That's the, bad. In this in the sense of like you're gonna read into it certain we have certain sensitivities in today's market, obviously, that, sure, that sure, sure. pull this sentiment out of us. And yeah, like you would feel if you weren't wearing headphones and a wife walked in, you've got this weird <laughs> jail baity character. But as I that was I only played Lost Odyssey recently. I'm like this is like a child. This is really making me uncomfortable. I'm just going to pretend I'm not reading this into it. But yeah, I think it was something around that's an aspect of Japanese culture through the anime lens that gets filtered into a lot of this. Right. You know, if it's really bad and really egregious, you get the example of like, oh, well, they're actually just a thousand years old and you're misunderstanding (laughs) everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not like uh, Final Fantasy six where where Edgar hits on realm who's 10. (laughs) So there's that too. There is that. Yeah, it's, it's a weird societal aspect that filters into these games that we as Westerners are like, I'm just going to pretend this isn't going on right now. Oh, shit. Yeah. And yeah. we love you. <laughs> we do. JRPG. All right. It's time to move into whether or not this game holds up today. We let our guest have the final word, but we kick it off. Uh, Shane, do you want me to go first? You got this one. Uh, you know what? I'll go ahead. That's fine. Okay. So I always say that I'll be brief when I say something and then I realize that I'm usually very long winded. So hopefully that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. again. But does it hold up? I mean, yeah, yes, I 100 percent think it does. I mean, with some of the, you know, criticisms of some of the systems and stuff like that aside, as someone who came to this game much, much later, it was still a great experience overall. Like, did I want to go into the post game stuff that they had available? Uh, no, but as I think uh, somebody put it pretty, pretty succinctly, uh, I don't have teenager time, <laughs> so uh, I wasn't going to do that. But I mean, it's there if you want to. But the I think the main campaign is still a really great experience. Um, wrapping your head around the paradigm system does take time and you do need to have a little bit of patience with that. and by extension the you know somewhat belabored tutorial at the beginning i think but outside of that i mean the game as we said it looks like it just came out like last week or something it's a visual treat and i think it does even though they kind of beat that thing into the ground where they try to reinvent the wheel with like every final fantasy numbered release i think they did a lot of things right here was it like a 100% home run probably not but i think what they tried was admirable and i did i did really appreciate um you know some of the like fresh takes on you know some some maybe older 
you know, role playing game mechanics. So, uh, so yeah, I definitely think it's still worth the time. hundred percent. I am going to start out by just saying I like this game. I, I still consider myself a Final Fantasy 13 apologist. I'm not just going to I'm not going to outright say yes, though. I'm just going to say I lean yes, mm. just because I do like the game. And the reason I lean yes is because this game does take anywhere between 20 and 30 hours to really start to open up and allow you to play it the way it's meant to be played. When I played through that initial, I think it took me 18, 20 hours to get to Grand Pulse. During that time, I can completely understand why someone would want to put the controller down and walk away from mm-hmm. it. If you do not have 20 hours just put into a video game to figure out whether or not you like it, then don't play this game because that's the reality of Final Fantasy 13. There's there's a lot not to love about the like the first half. There, there definitely is. But as I found myself playing more and more into it, what I found is I got towards the end of the game and now I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. So, yes, I do think this game is good. But if you're going to bounce off it, you're going to bounce off of it. And yeah, that's that's 20 hours is a lot to ask from somebody. So it is a yes from me. I do think it holds up. But, you know, buyer beware. Have, have some caution. And also be prepared to die a lot. <laughs> RPGs, uh, specifically JRPGs, is a genre where I don't think a lot of players, unless like your, your crazy masochistic Shin Megami Tensei fans, expect to find themselves dying. You're going to get wiped quite a bit. I mean, the good thing is, is that you can almost instantly retry, but uh, it, it will humiliate you from time to time. It will humble you. And if you're not prepared for that either, this is this is not a game for you. But uh, I still give it my endorsement. I'm still having a great time with it. As much as it sounds like we may have shit on it during the gameplay and uh, mostly criticism heavy. It's, it's a great game. Final Fantasy Arcade is an apt description of it, Shane. Thank you. That's a that's a great way to put it. But yeah, if you're an RPG fan, go check it out. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say it's just a good game. It's a great game. And it's in my pantheon of ongoing arguments of my favorite game ever. Now, that doesn't mean is it the best game ever? Of course, there's countless faults that I can admit to. But when I think of my favorite game ever, this hits that and beats that drum rather over and over again. I absolutely love this game. I'm aware of its faults. I'm aware of its shortcomings. I wish they can be changed at some point fine-tuned a little bit i doubt it that's not really the way that square enix remasters their games they either just do subtle growths or we're remaking the whole goddamn thing (laughs) and we're not putting it on xbox so fuck you (laughs) had to get that in there somewhere but um no i i absolutely think it's an incredible game it's got a great story in the sense of the human drama which is my favorite thing to come out of any story is does it make me empathize with somebody else's struggle and help me understand how difficult life can be and how much empathy we need to have for each other? We live in an environment where that's constantly seen as a weakness from any side of the social spectrum. And I've had a lot of great experiences in my life when a piece of media can make me understand that there's a bigger world than me and there's a need for me to approach it with a little bit more empathy and understanding. And I love how the story unfolds in that aspect and how it leaves off in the end to make you understand that there's a bigger world than just you and you're not at the center of it, but you, you can experience it in a meaningful way. And it's fun. Like it gets, it gets really fun after a while and it does take a long time to open up, but I find that's where much of that story building is happening. So they're giving you that there. And then it's like, okay, now you've learned how to play the game. The story's over. All you got to go do is 
beat this son of a bitch at the end of the game who is one hell of a fight, one of my favorite final boss fights of all time. I stood up in front of my screen like a child when I finally <laughs> got to it last year. And I did not sit down for the hour it took me. And I was just blown away with how engaged I was. And I, I think it can pay off for a lot of people, but I agree, everybody's different. So if you bounce off and you hate it, like that's understandable. I fucking hate Bandai Namco games, no matter how pretty they are <laughs> and how, how enamored I am with their art. I turn it on and 15 minutes later, I'm like, why did I buy this game? <laughs> so I get that. I get that bias that can come out of us in a game where I'm feeling personally attacked right now. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a great game. And, and if it's coming from me, obviously Lightning's my favorite character of all time. And this is debatably my favorite game of all time. So I highly recommend it to to anyone interested in the RPG genre. Mm. Lightning is a better cloud. There you go. Yes, far superior. Piss off all the FF7 fanboys. I love the cloud too, but he ain't as cool as Lightning. Hard disagree, but uh, <laughs> you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, her sword's not as big as his, Chris. Fine, we get it. I'm all about the big girthy swords. It's true. <laughs> gonna, gotta bust that sword. Oh, well, on that note, I believe <laughs> that brings our discussion of FF13 to an, an appropriate sophomoric close, as we generally are want to do so uh first and foremost of course we want to thank our esteemed guest for joining us today so john thank you very much for being here we uh really appreciate you jumping on thank you yeah thank you guys it was excellent i'm i've been looking forward to this for ever and i'm just very grateful for the opportunity to gush about this game because nobody in my life really gives a shit about final fantasy (laughs) well you are amongst friends here so is there uh is there anything out there on the internets or or maybe not maybe in the meat space i don't know that you would like to uh that you'd like to plug that you want the people at home to know about yeah i don't have any sort of like projects or anything i mean i live in media so i've kind of don't have any personal presence on it because that's my day job fair but uh i do love your guys discord i'm always on there i love the debates i love the community it gets better and better every day it's like a great enjoyable space to be in and to kind of be amongst like-minded people that want to talk about stupid shit (laughs) well we are nothing if not exactly that so (laughs) we're glad that we could provide that for you and i suppose that probably functions as the best segue that i'm gonna get into talking a little bit about uh about what we do what we got going on so i mean first of all if you're listening to this then you have in fact already found us so you've done you've done the hard work you're here You, you you did it Congratulations, first of all. And, you know, hopefully you enjoyed this discussion. And, you know, if you haven't already, we have a uh, a, a a burgeoning, perhaps girthy backlog of content for you to get to. We've said girthy a lot this episode. We really have. Yeah. But I mean, listen, if the, you know, bulbous, if, the, if the Jimmy hat fits, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, at any rate. Uh, yeah. So if you want more humor like that. Boy, did we have you covered. Uh, so, you know, we've got Jimmy the hat. main show feed, of course, which is what you're listening to here. But uh, if you want even more of that, if somehow you don't get enough of us already, then there is also a Patreon where we have a boatload of extra bonus content. And as of right now, as of as of the recording of this episode, the the King of Games 1992 tournament is still going on on our Patreon feed. And uh, you can get in on that. You, st- you still have time. 
before it eventually goes out to to the masses to to the unwashed plebs <laughs> you could be rhp royalty and and get in there before anybody else does and let me tell you if you haven't already been listening you don't already know this it is a collection of the the finest podcasters that we could uh you know convinced to spend time with us we objectively talk about what the best game of 1992 is it is a very scientific tournament there are brackets the most scientific yes and we will not be taking any questions so none you know definitely check that out and that as well as the merch store and like all the other stuff we got you can find all of it just at our link tree so just go to linktree slash retro hangover that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash retro hangover and uh select the button that suits you best and then away you go and i guess because this is what i usually do i don't know when we codified this it just started happening so i guess it's a thing now but chris you want to tell people about what we do on twitch yes go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and watch us play games Mm. we were talking about earlier people getting frustrated at metroid which i think i've brought up in other episodes and uh i get frustrated in metroid sometimes shane gets scared at games or uh plays a diablo game it crashes uh, for, oh, for your viewing pleasure <laughs> well if we discuss whether or not we'd eat hershey bars or reese's peanut butter cups so head on over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover at sundays at 9 p.m eastern time and you too can wax nostalgic about pizza hut beautiful well with all of that being said until next time Play with your girthy, veiny, vanille joysticks. That sounds illegal. (laughs) Going to jail. (laughs) Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash rhpbones. That's b-i-t dot l-y slash r-h-p-b-o-n-e-s.